0: i was able to fly you know for an hour above the volcano so it was incredible to just fly over the the whole route that i had just hiked up a couple hours before that. it took me five hours to go up and in a couple minutes i i flew
1: over the entire route this is the adventure sports podcast where we talk to athletes adventurers and business owners from around the world of adventure sports whether you're climbing mount everest Before I knew better, I used to carry cans of food into the backcountry like a doofus. Uh, Obviously, I don't do that anymore. I use freeze-dried food, and I really only use peak refuel, Uh, the best backpacking food, the best freeze-dried food in the world. And if you keep listening to the episode, I can show you how to save 20% off an order if you want some. Powder 7's team of ski experts makes buying skis pretty easy. They're actually known for helping customers find the right gear specifically for them. They even sell used skis, which is pretty cool. Plus, Powder 7 ships to just about anywhere in the world, and they have incredibly fast shipping in the U.S. Visit them online at Powder7.com, or you can stop by their store in Golden, Colorado. If you're like me, you have some pain and inflammation from your adventure sport. Sometimes you don't sleep well, and... You can even deal with stress and anxiety. Uh, we have a possible solution for you later on in the show, so keep listening if you deal with any of those issues. Today's episode is really unique. It's Adrian Garza. He is a paraglider, a climber. Um, Paragliding is kind of new to him, but he's already done some really cool stuff. He he literally climbs up to the top of a volcano and flies off. Uh <laughs> Pretty awesome, and he has a really cool training regiment to get him up there and down quickly, so he can be home to take care of his daughter and help his wife out. So it's a there's a lot going on in this story, but it's really cool what he does. Yeah, if you want to reach out to him, his contact information and social media is in the show notes. Um, also in the show notes is our sponsor messages. Take advantage of those. We get deals for you guys from companies that we really believe in, that we think are making great products or offer really great services. If you are in need of anything you hear in this show, there is a deal probably waiting for you. Being an adventure sports podcast listener, so don't don't let those go to waste. Uh, also, thank you to our patrons. We had a, a few new patrons this week, this past week, and uh, yeah, thank you so much. We will be announcing names later in the month, and uh, you can become a patron, aka a financial supporter of the show, for a buck a month, for five bucks a month, uh, at patreon.com slash Podcast. That is also in the show notes. And as always, share the show with your friends, family, tell them about it, invite them to subscribe, invite them to like our page, uh, Invite show them how to listen, because a lot of people still don't know how to listen to podcasts. And it's going to take someone who does to show them how. I mean, I've only been listening to shows for a couple years now, honestly. And it was because a friend of mine literally pulled my phone out and said, here's how you do it. Here's your app. Here's what podcasts are. And here's how you listen to them. And uh, (laughs) I don't want to overstate it, but podcasts have changed my life in the sense of how I consume information. I don't have to sit down and devote time to reading a book or watching a screen, which frankly, I can't hardly do anyway. I always want to be up and moving around. So podcasts have just so easily integrated into my life. And I guarantee that a lot of you out there are the same way. You know, this allows us to do our adventure sport, allows us to work for some of us. It allows us to do all sorts of tasks while listening to something we really enjoy. So in my opinion, it is such a better medium compared to television because i can do exactly what i want to do while listening something that's that's stimulating that's interesting that's insightful so show people how to do it you're you're doing them a disservice by not showing them podcasts anyway (laughs) enough of my rant uh yeah thanks for listening to the show i hope you have a great week happy monday and enjoy the episode everybody welcome to the show today we are doing something really really out of the box it's not a life outside the box episode but uh actually it it might be because this is pretty crazy um adrian garza is a hike and he 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 basically a hike and fly paragliding climb a mountain well in his case a volcano right. uh and freaking just fly off of it adrian welcome to the show man that's the idea
0: thank you mason glad to be here
1: yeah so uh yeah you just got off works thanks for joining us um why don't you just explain like what is this sport that you do because i don't think a lot of people are familiar with it yeah of course um so my background is more in uh rock climbing first and then Mm.
0: and then uh high altitude mountaineering um around mexico city we have volcanoes that that are you know over 15,000 feet, uh, so it's a a pretty good uh, athletic challenge just to just to hike up there even with a lead pack on. And then uh, one day, you know, I had seen this this documentary about uh, Cedar Wright, was a, a climber, doing this this uh, paragliding flight off the summit of of the tallest mountain in Mexico. It's a volcano called Pico de Orizaba. And at that point, he was uh, still uh, a beginner in in terms of paragliding, even though he was a pro climber for many years. And I'd been on that volcano before uh, several times. And and that idea kind of uh, was, you know, stuck in, in, in the back of my mind. And then one day my wife came back from a, a trip to Peru and she went on a tandem flight in, in Lima. And she loved it and she wanted to explore paragliding and learning together. So I thought, you know, it would be great if I could combine uh, what I'm already doing, which is uh, hiking up these these high volcanoes, and then uh, flying from from the summit, and and that's what I I set out to do when I started taking lessons along with her.
1: Holy cow! Now I'm looking. the The mountain you just mentioned is eighteen thousand, almost eighteen thousand five hundred feet. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And you just and you haven't been doing this very long. I have not. Um, so we we started taking lessons
0: in may 2017 and then i got my license in january of 2018 last year a little over a year ago Um, and in order to get a license to to be able to fly um, by yourself away from your home site you have to have at least 30 flights uh and and there's a practical exam and a theoretical exam and and of course the actual lessons so my my flight number 31 was uh, a hike and fly from from one of these uh, volcanoes here in, in in Mexico, which is another one called, uh, it's a complicated name, it's called Ista Xihuatl. So they call him Ista for short, and it's uh, a little more over 17,000 feet. It's also pretty high. It's the third highest in Mexico.
1: Oh, man, that is crazy. It's like it's like <laughs> yeah. you get your driver's license and you jump straight into like, <laughs> Formula One racing. <laughs> Like you got your license and just just took off. Like, holy cow, that's crazy, man! So your wife got you into this. And now yeah. does she still do this with you, or, or have you kind of done it on your own?
0: She hasn't been doing it because we recently had a baby. Oh, congratulations!
1: Uh, so we, thank you, thank
0: you. We have a it's almost three months old now. Boy or girl? Yeah, girl. All
1: a right, baby girl. That's, yeah, I, I've got one on the way in a couple months. So, oh, first time! So yeah, yeah. You'll I'll have to get some tips from you, man, because <laughs> I'm scared to death I won't have time to do anything anymore.
0: Yeah, that's that's scarier than flying off a volcano for sure. <laughs> I mean, the first kid. <laughs> mm,
1: that's funny. <laughs> Dang man, so so she's taking a break because uh, y'all had a, y'all had a baby girl, and uh, but you're still doing it.
0: Yeah, uh, still found a way to to keep doing it. My, my last hike and fly trip was uh late November last year and that was on uh, another kind of subsidiary summit of Ista in a more remote part of the volcano which is not as frequented as the uh, the normal route to the the primary summit right right it's it, it's a place that's more remote and when i was there there was i was the only person uh around but the interesting thing for me about that trip was that i could manage to do it in a single day as a round trip uh from mexico city uh, there and back without having to spend the night uh, uh on the mountain so you know, being a, a a new father and still adapting to to all this it was a lot easier for me to, to to find a place where i could go out and come back the same day
1: did Did you go to work the next day <laughs> i did it on a saturday so i got out okay. a day to, to recover so people ask you what you did that weekend you're like i don't even know where to start <laughs> <laughs> yeah i
0: think my, my colleagues are a little used to it uh, by now but at first it was uh
1: quite surprising man i can't believe it i, I bet they think you're crazy
0: <laughs> yeah so it, it could look like that from from the outside um but i'm, I'm actually uh very cautious and uh, that's something that uh, my, my wife and, and my mom are, are very grateful for and they they come to understand that so they 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 rest a little easier now. that got them to know how they approach these things.
1: So so how what do you, what do you look for when you go up a mountain? Is do you do your research beforehand, and, and what kind of things do you have to watch out for?
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. I try to, to 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 be as familiar as I can with the actual place. So all all of these volcanoes that I've flown from are places that I've previously climbed at least once. And and most of them are more than once, up to 10 or more times. I think uh, for me, I mean, unless you're going with a guide, you know, on a guided uh, hike and fly trip, I think it's first and foremost, you have to be comfortable being on the mountain and being uh, up on a high mountain and and being up high on that specific mountain and carrying a a heavy backpack. Um, So so I try to add as as few uh, new variables to the equation at a time as possible. Uh, so, for example, I would recommend somebody do this and and be their first time at high high elevation and also the first time on that mountain and also their first time carrying a big backpack and also their first time <clears throat> flying alone, et cetera. So I try to gradually add all of those new variables, uh, you know, one at a time if possible, um, so that when it comes time to, to actually hike up and fly off, uh, you're already familiar and comfortable with with most of the the, the aspects of, of
1: what you're gonna do, my goodness man, that is so crazy that is so cool though that is amazing <laughs> like what a cool idea now are you do you know anyone else doing this that can you go with or are you kind of just alone in your community in your network
0: there There are people that have done this as well, um, and I actually talked to some of the people that that flew off of Ista, you know to to get uh, some data right. from them to get information. About how they approached it and where they took off and the, there's also a, a platform where people can upload their flights their paragliding flights so the the flights from ista from this team uh, are on there uh, cedar rides flight from orizaba is on there as well so you can actually look at the track so and and i've seen you know other videos of other people doing this i know i mean for sure that from ista and orizaba other people have flown but then some of the other ones that I've flown from, uh, I don't know of anyone else that that has flown from from those places. So at least two of the volcanoes that I've flown from, uh, they're possibly the I've done possibly the first uh, flight from those. Wow. It's at least the first documented flight. And and now to get back to the question, there there aren't that many people that do this. And I think well the first reason is there aren't really that many paraglider pilots in Mexico to begin with. I mean, it's a country of like 125 million people and there's maybe, I mean, someone told me once at around maybe 500 pilots, maybe by now that was like two years ago, maybe there's more than that, but I'm pretty sure it's less than a thousand pilots in the whole country. Wow! And then of those pilots the people that are actually interested in, in, you know, in climbing up to 18,000 feet, probably a, a really small fraction of those. And then also to do this, it helps a lot if you have, uh, Equipment that's that's lighter than than the regular equipment, so that you can actually carry it all the way up. You also probably need to have you know dedicated hike and fly equipment. Uh, so there's harnesses that are made uh, for that that are lighter with you know different kinds of materials, and the wings themselves uh, also um, they're becoming more and more popular, and they're made from you know a slightly uh, lighter cloth and and they have different materials on. On the webbing that that attaches to the harness and, and stuff like that, so it's uh, unless somebody has kind of like the specific idea of, of getting into it, kind of like I did. So I chose my equipment to to be uh, functional for that kind of stuff. Hmm. Uh, it's going to be hard to, to find someone that that would be uh, capable and, and willing and and has the right equipment to do it. So there's, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's part of what 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 really attracts me to it. Here is that. It's so few people doing it and so few people doing it here that there's a lot of things to be done that, that nobody's ever done before. So you, you actually feel like like you really are on an adventure, right? You're exploring and doing things that, that haven't been done before. And there's no, no real reference that you can go to, to just copy and then replicate.
1: So all of you know that uh, I deal with some chronic pain, some chronic inflammation in my knees and it's been an issue with my adventure sports career Uh, but we just had caleb simpson on the show to talk about his company hemp daddies and i'm actually going to give their products a shot and see how they do i'm going to be using their cbd oil and transdermal cream i've been trying it out about a week now and i've actually noticed i sleep better Um, my stress and anxiety have even lowered a little bit as well as my knees do feel a lot better their products are third-party lab tested they're made from usda organic hemp and they're grown on a family farm right here in colorado if you'd like to give it a shot yourself go to their website hempdaddies.com and use the code adventure to get 10 percent off your first order and free shipping and i will keep you in the loop about how it does for me so buying ski gear can be a pretty daunting process especially when it's online but powder seven made that process incredibly easy they live by their mantra which is skiing for all all for skiing by being completely dedicated just to skiing and encouraging anyone and everyone to participate all year long it really doesn't matter if you're looking for your first pair of skis or looking to round out your quiver Uh, they have literally thousands of skis in stock uh new and used so you can get a really good deal a team of ski experts to help you find the perfect ski for you. And they stock every brand you can imagine. And not only skis, but they have everything else you need, whether it's a helmet or goggles, apparel, boots, bindings, poles, literally everything. The only thing they really don't get you is a lift ticket. It's crazy. So you can visit them online at powder7.com or stop by their store there in Golden, Colorado. But make sure you give them a shot before trying anywhere else for your ski equipment. Yeah, it's pretty seems like a pretty niche sport and the way you're doing it is just definitely you're going to be one of the only ones but in that same time you're setting a lot of records doing a lot of first descents and uh wow it's just amazing so so when you're going up what what so like your day-to-day trip what kind of gear do you have to place how much food how much water and how long are you in the air like what are what are you different from like a day hiker that's on the same mountain Sure. Like, for example, on ISTA, a typical trip
0: to, to, to go and summit a volcano would involve at least uh, two nights at base camp or one night at base camp and then one night on a higher camp, uh, especially for people that are coming from, from uh, lower altitudes. Because yeah. um, in Mexico City, I already have an advantage because I'm mean, here and in, in my home, I'm already at like 7,000 feet elevation. So Dang. I mean that's higher than Denver and and almost as high as like Aspen Snowmass.
1: <laughs> you're, yeah, you're. I live at six, and uh, yeah, you're a thousand feet higher than me. Dang. Yeah, yeah. So some people even you know get altitude sickness uh, just
0: coming to Mexico City, right? So, so there I have already an advantage. But if you're not coming from here, uh, you would fly into Mexico City and and spend the night here ideally, and then the next day make it out to base camp, which is it's like almost thirteen thousand feet, and you can get there by car. It's pretty accessible, so it's a lot of elevation gain in in one day, uh, going from seven thousand to thirteen thousand. And then the next day, people usually just take it easy, so their body acclimatizes. Maybe do a short hike, and then, and maybe the following night, start their summit bid. Uh, and it's like an an alpine start at like maybe two a.m., three a.m., really early in the morning and they'll usually take a like a really light backpack because you, you can do it you can do your summit bit all the way from, down from base camp in a single day and back and they'll probably take maybe depending on on the speed of the group but like let's say 5 hours to get to the summit and to spend an hour there and then maybe 3 hours 4 hours to come back so it's around a 10 hour day on on the mountain at altitude so it's like a three-day trip almost, and they'll usually take a light pack, so maybe like around maybe two liters of water, and all in all, with you know the crampons and the ice axe, you know the extra clothing and your snacks and and whatnot, probably you know less than less than twelve pounds of equipment, less than ten pounds. So you go as as light as possible. Um, and if if you want to do a hike and fly, that you'll probably have to take more than twice as much gear and, and weight so my gear with you know, my hiking plus the paragliding gear all in all is probably like uh, like over a little over 25 pounds
1: okay not not terrible yeah like, not, like not almost terrible. like a backpacker yeah exactly like a backpacker except i'm a really uh pretty short
0: and skinny guy so i weigh like less than 120 pounds so i really feel uh, the weight yeah yeah yeah
1: for
0: real <laughs> And at altitude, it—I mean, every every step is a deep breath that you have to take. Right. So it takes me, like, for example, if hiking with that pack versus for me hiking without my paragliding equipment, it takes me maybe forty percent longer to make the hike
1: up. Oh wow! And and then you
0: have to be prepared to to hike back down again if the conditions aren't aren't right.
1: How often has that does that happen for you?
0: For me, it it. It, does, it doesn't happen often. It, it's only happened to me once, and then I've done six flights on on the high volcanoes. Uh, so one one out of seven, I, I had to hike back down. The the reason for this is that I I really I really pick my days, and in terms of the, the weather conditions and the wind. So if the day before the conditions don't look good, I just won't go, and I save myself the trouble. And also, since these are all mountains that have been on previously, I, I also have a, a pretty good idea of, of where I can take off from, and I think it's at all possible or not. Um, so if I were going on, on, a, on a mountain that I've never been on before, uh, that ratio would be really different. And, or if I were going on a trip abroad somewhere where you have to commit to a weekend or, or a certain date and, and you know hope for the best in terms of the weather, that would also be a really different ratio. So I try to take advantage of the fact that, that I have all these volcanoes really close to home and you can you can really uh take advantage of that.
1: Man, those are such big mountains, man. That's so cool. Yeah, you know, we pride <laughs> ourselves on big mountains here in Colorado, but those just dwarf it. Like, like they dwarf because <laughs> our biggest mountains are only fourteen thousand feet. Every you've you've been on a twenty thousand footer doing this down in Peru, and right next to your home is an eighteen. 185. That's just crazy. Yeah, now, you don't think about Mexico City being such a high elevation mountainous city, but it's right there.
0: Yeah, you wouldn't think so, and I mean, uh, a lot of people are surprised to see we there's glaciers in in Mexico. You know, not many. I mean, there's only three of them left, but it's, we're so a lot closer to the equator, but the mountains are so high that. It's still pretty cold up there. Dang,
1: that's so crazy. <laughs> so you said that uh, for most people, it's two days, two back or two nights and three days. How in <laughs> the world do you take a three-day trip for most people and get it into the same day out your front door and back?
0: That's a great question. So since uh, you know I have a full-time job and and a family, and I have a really limited vacation time, and I also want to uh, spend time at home. I started to uh, looking for ways to actually make these kinds of trips shorter, especially uh, trips abroad, like that trip uh, to Peru. And when when I was doing the research on on altitude acclimatization, I found that some people were using like a a hypoxic generator to to acclimatize at home. So it's the the machine that you, you plug in, and it's about I don't know maybe like two and a half feet tall and about the size of a, like a medium-sized uh, trash can that you have in the kitchen. And what that does, it's, it sucks, uh, scrubs the oxygen or part of the oxygen from the air and substitutes uh, nitrogen in its place. And then you hook that up to uh, either a mask that, that you wear while you are at rest or exercising or to uh, a little plastic tent uh, that you sleep in at night. It uh, simulates you know, the lack of oxygen that you will find at altitude.
1: So yeah, which one do you do? When when I went
0: to Peru, what I did is I, I got the, the tent, and it's like a, it covers your body like from your chest up, and I slept in that for for like six weeks um, before before going on the trip. And then I, you gradually you gradually start to increase the simulated altitude that you sleep in. Or they use the pulse oximeter, so it's a little device like they have in the hospitals. You, you clip it onto your fingertip and it measures not only your, your pulse or your, your heart rate, but also your blood oxygen saturation. So the, how saturated your blood is with oxygen in, in, in terms of percentage. So in here in Mexico City, if I were at rest, my, my blood oxygen reading would probably be close to like 95, 96%. And if you're at sea level, it's like 98, 99%. And the, the higher up you go, the, the more it starts to drop. And when you sleep in, in the tent, in order to get the your body to, you know, sufficiently stressed so that it has to adapt, you, you try to maintain it uh, below 90 and, and ideally uh, above 80. So you can actually get some rest at night as well.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, does it affect your sleep?
0: Yeah, it does a little bit. So you're, since you're not acclimatized yet, you're, there's less oxygen in the air and, and your body has to compensate for that somehow. So your first thing that your, your body does is it adjusts your breathing rate. So you'll be breathing in more air, more air per minute uh, than normal. And then your your heart will start to, to, to work overtime also to compensate. So your resting heart rate at night, it'll go up as well. So your heart will be working more during the whole night compared to what, what the work that it would normally have to do. So it it your 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 body has to has to work a little bit harder just just to to maintain that you know that, that same or or similar level of, of oxygenation in in your blood.
1: So was it a hard decision to decide to buy one of those or was it like this is this is it. This is what I need to turn to be able to do this and still maintain work and family and not take too much vacation time off.
0: Yeah, for, for me, I think uh, um, maybe um, at first, I mean, I had my doubts because I hadn't tried it. In, in the US, there are probably some, you know, high tech, you know, training facilities where people might have access to to one and, and try it out. But here, I really had to commit and, and buy one up front. There's some some mountaineering agencies that will actually rent it out to to their clients for certain expeditions. Oh wow! Um, but I had to buy it. And in, in hindsight, I mean, it's been a it's been a great investment. I mean, it's it saved me uh so much time. And I mean, at different points in, in life, you know, if you want to live a, a life with some adventure in it, you're going to need uh, time and you're going to need, uh, you know, money and resources. And sometimes some lucky people will have both at the same time. Most probably won't. <laughs> and you might have uh, one and, and not the other. Right? So,
1: you know, if I had
0: all the time in the world, you know, I would just go out and spend a couple of weeks at at altitude in Peru or here and get fully acclimatized. And and that's the most effective thing you can do. But if if you don't have the time, then you have to make up for it uh, in in a different way. And and for me, it's been really worth it. I mean, in Peru, what what we did out there was usually like a two-week trip. Um, I, I went out there with a friend. Who lives at another city which is lower in elevation and he had to go out there a week before I did to to get acclimatized um, so before before the big peak that we climbed that 's you know close to twenty one thousand feet, he climbed another one that 's around seventeen thousand so that that really helped him and he spent also uh, a couple of nights at a, a little town in the middle of the the cordillera that 's called Huaras, which is which is also quite high it 's like uh maybe ten ten thousand feet and wow. uh, so that also helps and i was able to you know drop in a week after him and, and go directly yeah. up to the base camp of the mountain and, and follow the regular schedule from
1: from then onwards you, d- you didn't fly off that peak did you
0: <laughs> uh, no that, that would have been great uh, well <laughs> it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been possible because the weather turned really bad by the time we were at the summit we had you know it was a Ping pong ball of weather. We couldn't see anything, just a few feet in front of us. So, and I mean that's that's a thing. If if I were, if my plan had been to go out and, and and fly off the summit, I would have had to stay a lot longer to wait for a, a good weather window, or just hope to be really lucky. And and in that case, I would have had to carry my equipment all the way up and, and back down again because the, the weather was terrible. Jeez. Um, and 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 then back then I hadn't started flying yet, so that was. I wasn't on, on the radar, but uh, I would love to go back and, and and do something like that over there.
1: Has anything ever gone wrong after getting in the air or calculations or, or did anything ever go close to going bad? Uh,
0: yeah, when I flew off of uh, orizaba the, the,
1: the one that's uh,
0: like eighteen thousand feet eighteen thousand five hundred that the wind was stronger than than what was forecasted the previous day. Uh, and and i saw the forecast change that the day i was uh, climbing up uh so it was i was probably like at my very limit uh, in terms of how much wind i could handle on takeoff so i, I really thought twice about it and it took me a while to finally decide to to give it a shot i mean and everything turned out okay but when I, once i was in the air gone up by myself so my car was um and that, you know, at, at the base camp and I had to get back to my car, you know, somehow. And the wind was so strong that on my glider, which is a, a beginner glider, the beginner gliders don't, aren't very good at f- flying upwind, at the, penetrating the wind. So if, let's say there's something called the trim speed of the glider. So that means, you know, how fast will it move uh, forwards? At what speed? If, if you're not touching anything, you're just letting it fly by itself. And, and that might be like maybe close to a a little under 30 kilometers an hour. So if, if the wind is 30 kilometers an hour and your train speed is 30 kilometers an hour and you try to go upwind, you are just going to slowly fall straight down to, with, with no forward speed. Um, so the wind, once I took off a little and I got a little away from the mountain, so I had, you know, plenty more, more air below me and, and more space behind me in case something went wrong. But I, I realized I wasn't, penetrating the wind at all so in the year I had to decide if I was going to turn away from the volcano and I mean I could have flowed down but I, w- I would have had to look for a, you know a, a field or somewhere to land uh, in a place I hadn't planned to land and and usually I, w- I try to go out and scout uh, possible landing fields uh, beforehand so, so I know where I'm going and I know what, what options I have so I don't have to make that decision on the spot. So that was one option. And then I would have run into the problem of having to find my car afterwards somehow. Um so that's not yeah. very practical. <laughs> right, right. And, and and the car was, I mean, at over thirteen thousand feet on the mountains, so it would have been a long way to to get back to it. Uh, and the other option was to try and, and land on volcano. So I hadn't planned on, on landing on volcano and and I had to land at about a little over two thousand feet below the summit, so uh, landing at at sixteen thousand feet is still pretty high. I landed on on the slope, and it was a uh, the landing was really easy because it was kind of a uh, like like volcanic sand, so it was really soft. When there's wind, and if you land uh, into the wind, then the landing is really soft because the, the wind takes away all your speed or most of it. So it was a soft landing on a slope, but then I had to pack my glider in, in a really uncomfortable place with a really, really, uh, steep incline, uh, with sand everywhere. And, and, and it's also still pretty high up. So every s- small effort, uh, really, really tiring. And then after that, I had to carry all, all the equipment across the volcano and, and traverse to find, well, to get to the, the route, uh, that I climbed up to, so I could go back down and get back to the, to my car. So that was, uh, no, not not a, really a hike and fly it was like a hike and fly and then hike some more
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah like i said at the beginning of the episode i used to carry cans of food into the backcountry and uh, i know there's a lot lighter things to do but uh there's just a lot of options that aren't good for you or either too heavy um and that's why i really do uh use peak refuel now um uh, they're a new backpacking food company, and I say backpacking food. Really, it's just uh, freeze-dried food that you can use for anything. I've actually eaten it for dinner before with my family uh, because it's real food. It's not. It does not taste like backpacking food or hunting food or something that you're only going to eat in the backcountry. It's it's delicious, high uh, in protein, uh, nutritious. It is going to refuel you. It is filling, huge portions and i really encourage you all to give it a shot at least try it out uh, and that is peakrefuel.com and if you want to get 20% off an order uh, use the code asp20 and that's capital asp and then 20 now back to the episode <laughs> so it took me for,
0: it took me longer to, to fly down than than it would have taken to to just start climbing back down after reaching the summit. Oh my god! Uh, because, because of all of that. Uh, but it was still, uh, still quite, quite an experience and and nothing. I mean, I didn't injure myself and then damage even the equipment or anything. It all worked out. It was just a few, like, um, I mean, and that flight, it was like 2,000, more than 2,000 feet of, of descent and, and that took like a minute and a half.
1: Wow. So really really
0: really fast like because the air is so thin everything happens a lot faster the the glider flies faster and then your sink rate is is higher and if something happens to the wing like if you get a small collapse uh, or something that it also happens faster and you have to react quicker so everything everything went well it was just a little more time consuming and and and, and tiring than than it would have been if there was zero wind and I would made it back to to uh, the landing that i had planned you know right beside the car i'll have to go back there again and do a a longer flight you know because a minute and a half uh (laughs) is really really short too short
1: that is crazy yeah there's uh, my my partner in business he paraglides and he tells me about it and there's so much to consider it's it's dangerous it's uh, a lot of calculations you have to be pretty smart to to put it all together and decide is this possible for you to do you know
0: yeah it, it is for sure i mean if it's practiced safely and you have good proper instruction and you 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 make uh, decisions decisions uh, the like the way you're taught to make them it's, it can be really safe people bring paragliding for a long time and never had accidents you know just like some people have been driving cars for you know decades and never had an accident and there are right. other people that get into accidents all the time <laughs> right and and then it's, it's because people can get careless or go um, past their limits mm-hmm. um but but yeah i think like there yeah, a lot of it is the planning and the theory behind it and the practice but there's also a component of of being able to to make uh, decisions on the spot and sometimes you have to make those decisions by yourself like even if you you have like a radio when you're learning and your, your instructor is coaching you and you have his voice in your ear, but then, you know, eventually you start flying by yourself. And if you get into a situation, then you have to get yourself uh, out of it, right? You know, in the same way that uh, happens in, in other sports, right? Like when I was rock climbing and I was climbing on, on a multi-pitch uh, uh, route and then uh, the rope got stuck and we were like a thousand feet up the walls and, <laughs> and nobody can help you there either. Mm-hmm. The deal with the situation as it presents itself, you know?
1: So, do you, do you know what the highest peak that's ever been hiked and flown, hiked and flown?
0: Yeah,
1: uh, Everest. Really, Everest. Yeah. Someone hiked up there and flew off the top.
0: Yeah, a couple of people have actually, and oh and God.
1: surprisingly, like the the first,
0: the first paragliding flight from Everest was in in the in like the late '80s, quite a while ago. And and, no and that way. back then, paragliding was very very new sport and. I mean, the, the gliders back then were, were, those gliders were dangerous back then. They, they were a lot less stable and they would be right. prone to collapsing and, and their, their glide rate was not good. So they would, they would, I mean, they would sink pretty fast. So it was harder landings and, and at that altitude, uh, harder still. Um, so it was an amazing feat for, for the time. Uh, and and since then other people have, have, have flown from the summit That's another level and then there's people doing um i mean if anyone wants to lo- look into this uh, i think it's fascinating there's uh, some two french pilots uh, antoine Girard and and, and damien uh, lacaz they were recently in pakistan in in, in the Karakoram, like the hebelay and they did a, a tr- like a cross country traverse so multiple days flying you know uh Many miles each day uh, in in the mountain range. They, they flew really close to, you know, to to a couple of the eight thousand meter peaks up there. And then the idea was to land on on a seven thousand meter mountain. It's called Spantic. Uh, so they landed on the mountain face at like six thousand meters. Uh, and the idea was to do a a, a summit attempt after landing, and, and then then uh, fly off again. And they got pretty close to the summit, but then they had uh, problems with the altitude. Uh, um, and, and Antoine had started to get symptoms of a cerebral edema, so they turned around and went back down. And, and they flew off the next day, but think they, uh, under different circumstances, you know, with good weather and with without that uh, incident with the altitude sickness, they would have been able to summit and, and then fly off again. It's like a regular expedition would have taken a couple of weeks just to reach, you know, the initial spot where they landed on the mountain wow so that that's that's like uh the cutting edge of
1: uh
0: um you know what's possible with a piece of fabric and, and some mountaineering equipment
1: <laughs> so for you what's what's that dream goal what what are you hoping to what want, what's the biggest thing on your bucket list with with this sport um uh, so for now i'm um, like uh,
0: my second flight on on Ista, um, instead of just flying straight mm-hmm. down, I um, like the first flight. It lasted like 12 minutes. Really like emotional, exciting flight, uh, and everything went well. And after that, I I was you know I would already learned how to you know use uh, thermals to, to stay up in the air longer. Uh ha at the time I hadn't you know really done any big cross country flights or anything like that, but but I could thermal uh, well enough. So I tried to go. Uh, I'm back out there again on a day where I, I thought I was gonna be able to to find some thermals, and, and sure enough, I, I I did, and I was able to fly, you know, for an hour uh, above uh, above the volcano. So it was incredible to just what uh, fly over the the whole route that that I had just uh, hiked up a couple hours before. Then it took me five hours to go up, and then in in a couple minutes, I I flew over the entire route. And that was uh, a beautiful, beautiful experience for me. So I want to, I want to do more of those slides here because uh, I don't think anybody had ever done that before on, on that mountain. And then the other mountains where I, I just barely probably did the first descent then, and, and I want to not just uh, fly down, but, you know, uh, enjoy the, the views a little longer and, and fly over the mountains. Uh, there's, I mean, in, in Europe and other places where this is more common, people also they do what what they call top landing. So you can you know take off from somewhere lower and then and then land on the summit uh, with with your paraglider. So kind of like climbing it with with the paraglider instead of hiking up. Uh, I don't think anyone's ever done that on these mountains here. So that's something that would be really cool to do as well. And and then mixing like the next level for me would would be um, uh, mixing the cross country f- flying with, with hike and fly and then going on a, on a trip, uh, like a multi day trip where you, you, you fly and hike and, and, and actually cover some, some good distance. Uh, and, and that's what I want to work up to. So that, that's something that's called, uh, Volbiv. Uh, oh, well, he had like Nick, Nick Nanans on the show and he, it's, that's, he, he's done a lot of that. Um, and, and, and that's, that's something I aspire to do as well
1: so crazy well congratulations on you know learning how to do this pretty quickly accelerating in the sport accelerating the sport in your area and uh i hope you do some firsts like never never been done uh from mountain to mountain that would just you could circle the whole city man that's just crazy that's so awesome how can people (laughs) keep in touch with you and and follow your trips and what you do
0: sure uh, um i'm on instagram as uh well it's in spanish so uh, i'll spell it out it's called uh poncho el piloto poncho the pilot so it's p-o-n-c-h-e-l and and then pilot with an o in the end p-i-l-o-t-o poncho el piloto uh, on instagram
1: perfect well we'll link that in the show notes uh when we release it but Man, what an interesting sport. What an interesting thing to get into. It is. And the fact that you're doing so much to make it to where you can do it in a third of the time that it takes other people. That's uh, that's dedication. And that's what it <laughs> takes when times of life, like you have a newborn, you have a family, you have responsibilities. It might not be like this forever, but like for now, you love the sport enough yeah. that you're going to chase it by doing what you have to do to still get out there and and maintain that, that stoke. Yeah.
0: Having limited resources is is a great motivation to, to get creative.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. You know, if you were rich sitting on top of one of the mountains and, and uh, with all the time in the world, man, you probably wouldn't do anything. You'd probably just sit there.
0: (laughs) Exactly. We need a, we need a little bit of pressure and and those kinds of incentives sometimes. But yeah, I think it's great that a sport like this and sometimes, you know, we think that uh, we think that everything's already been done, you know, and you know a lot of things have been done, but I mean I'm sure that if people like look around where their their, their hometown or the places they frequently visit, and, and I'm for sure there's a lot of things that that, that could be first in, in some way, and it doesn't have to be a first for the whole world, but but if it's a first for you, that's it's the same uh, level of excitement and, and accomplishment too.
1: Absolutely, man. I, I tell people it's not like it's like songs. You know, you you, you think. With all the songs that are out and the, all of history, every good song's ever been written already, <laughs> but good ones come out every day, man, like good music yeah. comes out every single day. There's, there's some first out there that yeah. would, that you would be stoked to, to chase, and it's not even on even in anybody's radar yet, so for sure. it up, man. You're definitely one of those people that are, that are making that happen. That's so cool well thanks i ma- making
0: good music because i like that
1: yeah yeah i mean there'll never be an end to good songs there'll never be an end to what you can do first something adventurous so adrian thanks for joining us
0: Uh my pleasure mason great talking
1: yeah and uh keep us updated on what you do next we'll post uh your instagram and uh yeah man congratulations again on being a father maybe one day you'll take your little girl out there with you
0: oh uh, for sure that's gotta be in the plans and, and congratulations uh, ahead of time to you too and Keep doing what you're doing with with this podcast and getting people to share their stories. Uh, I'll be listening, too.
1: Awesome. All right. Have a good one, man. You, too. Bye-bye. All right. See ya. Hey, thank you so much for listening. If you know somebody that would make a good guest on the show, or if you have a pretty cool story about the outdoors or adventure sports that you want to tell us, please call us and leave a voicemail at 812-MAIL-POD. That is Five seven six three. Uh, you can also send us an email at info at adventure sports podcast.com. Uh, again, it is always helpful to leave us a review on iTunes. And if you'd like to be a supporter of the show, you can give five bucks a month at slash adventure sports podcast. And links for all that stuff is also in the show notes. So thanks again for listening. And y'all get out there and Do something so you can be on the show one day. All right, later. Also, don't forget, if you want to save 20% off the best backpacking food on planet Earth, go to peakrefuel.com, and at checkout, use the code ASP20. So now in their 12th season, Powder 7 is setting the bar for ski retailers everywhere. With their personalized service, wide selection of skis, and gear— Visit them online at powder7.com or stop by their store in Golden, Colorado. Also, don't forget if you're dealing with inflammation, pain, stress, anxiety, lack of sleep, do some research and check out hempdaddies.com for CBD oil and transdermal cream. And use the code ADVENTURE at checkout to save 10%.